Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I really want to thank the guys who played soccer with, with me. I know you let me score to make me feel better. You know, it's like there's this one point I like went around them and I, you know, I know I'm not fast. So like, I know I'm going slow motion, but a couple of these young guys, they went even slower and they let me like go between them and I scored and you know, yeah, I feel good. <laughs> Except right now my body is uh, in a lot of pain. I haven't ran like that in a long time, but uh, well, thank you for letting me score. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're going to go to Psalm 8, and the title of uh, tonight's message is uh, Ignited, with the theme of this uh, retreat, Ignited by His Majesty. Ignited by His Majesty. And actually, you know, it's a pretty difficult message because uh, only the Lord can do what I'm hoping could happen as we spend this time in His Word and His presence. And uh, so, why don't we read this Psalm, and then we will uh, go into this message, Ignited by His Majesty. Um, again, the superscript says, For the director of music, according to Githiath, uh, a, a, a Psalm of David. First one, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Um, I also want to make a uh, kind of, I guess, credit, you know, uh, I didn't get all the thoughts from John Piper. I didn't, sometimes I like plagiarize 100% from somebody. So I, honestly, I come to my church sometimes and I go, this message is plagiarized from Chuck Swindoll. I just want you to know that. But, you know, and then I, and I, and then I preach Chuck's message the way I want to preach it. Uh, but, you know, some, one of, couple of the thoughts that I kind of helped me to think through this psalm definitely comes from Piper. So I want to give him uh, credit. All right, let's pray and let the Lord speak to us. Lord, I just want to thank you for this church, and I want to thank you for this community. And uh, Lord, you know, a lot of us are at a busy time of our life, uh, raising children, figuring out our careers, figuring out who that person is. And Lord, these are real stuff of life, and I know that this is important to you. Uh, but God, sometimes in the midst of many good things and important things, we forget the most important thing. And uh, God, I just really pray that somehow through your word and your Holy Spirit, that you will help us to reflect on the great and awesome majesty of Jesus Christ. And that somehow as we expand our heart, that on your majesty, that you will ignite it on fire. And that you will help us to see this world as you see it. And we pray that you will speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to do an exercise, and I, some other people might have done this before, but I want you to close your left eye. We're going to look at me, okay? Everybody up there, too, I see you, all right? 
Okay, and then I want you to take your thumb and I want you to stick your thumb. And some of Pastor Seth does, but it's a little different from me. Uh, and I want you to take your thumb and I know this is silly. Just stick it real, as close to your eyes without poking it. Just keep bringing it really close, like really without poking your eyes. Okay, now, somebody's not doing it. You guys look really silly. Keep doing it. All right, now I'm going to ask you a dumb question. Number one question is, is your thumb bigger than my head? No, right? But can you see my head? Not really, right? Okay. Now look up. Now, guarantee your thumb is not bigger than my head. I have a really big head. You know, I, it's uh, supersized. Uh, when I was in high school, I had to quit the football team because they did not have an extra, extra large helmet. That's why I ended up joining the soccer team. Because I, I, they gave me a large helmet and I thought I was going to die. And so, like, you know, I, I didn't care if, like, you know, they were beating me up and hurting my knees because my head hurt so much. So why, why am I saying that, right? Your head is not bigger, no, my head is not bigger than your thumb, but when you put your thumb close to your eyes like that, you know, it blocks out anything. and It feels like, you know, your thumb is bigger than anything else. In fact, I would tell you, if you go up, you know, in, in a sunny day and you close one eye and you stick your thumb as close as you can, you can't see the sun. And we all know that the sun is bigger than, you know, our thumb. And I want to tell you, sometimes I think that's one of the biggest problems with our Christian life, is that we really live our life with our thumb in our eyes. And the thumb represents our problems, what I'm going through, what I feel, you know, what I think, and what's going on in my life, what's going on in my parents' life, what's going on in my kids' life. And I'm not saying that's not important to God, but sometimes we're so absorbed about ourselves that our thumb is so close to our life and even our faith that we don't see God. You know, a lot of times we don't see God. We're not God-absorbed. And I don't know if you fall into the We're self-absorbed. I mean, it's really about ourselves and what we're doing. And even Christianity, we run it as if it's all about us. It's all about me. And I know I do that a lot of times, especially when I have problems in my life, especially when things are not working. I stick the thumb of me right at my eyes, and I can't see God. And I'm wondering, you know, God, how come you're not answering me? How come I don't feel this supernatural peace? Because I have the thumb in my eye. In fact, I was listening to a, a podcast of Nightline. I don't know if you saw this Nightline, but there was an Indian woman uh, from Bollywood. And she was a director, and she actually directs a lot of movies in Bollywood. You guys know Bollywood? All right? I can't do it. All right, yeah, all right, bro. Yeah. I think it's so cool, you know. Uh, and uh, she actually directed something in the U.S. And, and the interviewer was asking her, you know, because she, you know, she had come from real uh, kind of uh, farm areas of India. And she had come and became, you know, school and, and in New York and all this stuff. And she became a pretty good director. And they said, what did you notice when you came to the United States? I mean, was there anything that you noticed? And this is what she said. She was not a Christian. She says, you know, one thing I noticed, she said, was how much Americans, and that's who we are, in the 21st century, how much Americans are so focused about themselves. You know, she said, all they think about is themselves, like what's going on with me, you know, how I am doing, how I'm feeling, how I'm struggling, what's, what's happening, how come I'm not doing this, how come this is not happening to me? And she said, that was really strange to me because where I live, I don't really think like that. And I want to tell you, most of us here are somewhat bicultural and Asian American. And believe it or not, we actually have a little more community oriented mindset. But those of us who've been in the U.S. a long time, we are really part of the main culture. And I want to tell you, what that lady said also applies to us. And she said, you know, in my culture, we don't really think like 
is the marriage going to make me happy? You know, we really think, is the marriage going to make my parents happy? I mean, that's why they don't mind getting arranged. Is the marriage going to make my community happy? Is the marriage going to make my, you know, uh, community leader happy? And come on, any one of us in this room, I mean, who, you're going to marry somebody to make Pastor Dave happy? Come on. And even Pastor Dave says, no, she's like Jezebel. You're going to be like, no, you're wrong. She's like Jesus, you know, come on. I mean, most of the choice, and we've learned this in our culture, and some, I think, some individualism, you know, I think is allowed in the, in the Bible. You have to individually choose Christ. It's not a corporate choice. It's individual. However, I think all of us have this disease of really living Christian life, and it's really about us. And I hate to say this, but even when we worship, sometimes it's about me. How come I don't feel like worshiping? I, I, I'm tired. I don't want to worship. Or, you know, I, I feel like worshiping. And I think it's, it's a pretty saturated problem that we have in the Christian circle. And I think that somehow, maybe through this message and as you reflect on it, we got to stop it. And we got to get off ourselves. And I, I want to tell you, one of the greatest things that we can do is just stop about yourself all the things, good, bad, neutral, and just worship God. And say, you know, God, when I worship, doesn't matter the band, doesn't matter how I feel. God, you are in this room. Imagine if we really believe what we're saying. And we worship God as if God Almighty is in this room. You know, and you worship Him and you don't think about yourself. You say, God, I just want to be absorbed by you. I just want to be absorbed in your majesty, in your presence. I think it would be entirely uh, just an awesome experience. And I feel like that is one of the biggest struggle. Get off ourselves, get off myself, and think about who God is, what He has done, who is Jesus, and just reflect. And sometimes it's like this. When you do that, sometimes it doesn't seem practical. Because all of us in this room, we want, you know, rubber meets the road. Okay, Pastor Young, you said all this, so what? But I want to tell you, sometimes it might not be practical. Maybe when you worship God and stop thinking about what you're going through, and you say, God, you are great and all this stuff, maybe you won't have a practical point. Like, well, maybe I should reconcile with my sister or reconcile with my mother-in-law. You might not get a practical point, but I'll tell you, you will receive a powerful perspective. And sometimes, more than a practical point, if you can get a powerful perspective, you can climb mountains that you thought you could never climb. You can look at things that you don't, you don't even know practically how to get over it, but you have a perspective that says, man, I'm God-absorbed. I'm Christ-absorbed. This mountain is too small for my God. And I think we need that kind of faith. Amen? I think I need that kind of faith. And uh, I think this psalm actually is the first psalm of worship and of praise. Uh, as you, There's many more psalms of worship and praise in the book of Psalms. But this is the first one that you encounter. And I think David really helps us to get our eyes off ourselves and on him. And, and one great thing about this psalm is that it really has not much to do with man other than how lowly we are and how great God is. Okay, So we're going to look at this psalm, and I'm hoping that this psalm will help us to do this. I'll give you some facts about this song. Number one, it is a praise song. It's a worship song. Number two, we know that David wrote it. Number three, historically, most scholars believe that David wrote Psalm 8 in his youth. And some scholars believe that David wrote this psalm maybe a few days or a month, a short time after he had 
beaten Goliath. Okay? And some of the reasons why they think so is some of the phrases that's used. If you go to uh, verse 7, it says, All the flocks of the herd and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. That, that phrase uh, that David is using, he says, The beasts of the field and the birds of the air. That phrase was actually used by Goliath. When, you know, in uh, 1, Samuel chapter, um, 1 Samuel chapter 17, Verse 44, Goliath looks at David, and you guys remember, David is a little uh, 15, maybe 13-year-old boy. And, you know, I always say when he fought Goliath, if you read, you know, 1 Samuel chapter, 40, uh, chapter 44, you know, we think that David was this, like, cool-looking boy, you know, like he looks like a kung fu star or something, you know, or, you know but he, he could have, like, been going, going through his adolescence, and he could have been like, you come against me with sword and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord. And you know, and Goliath is this nine foot giant, and he looks at David and he says, Am I a dog? I mean, Israel, are you guys playing with me? I'm the mightiest warrior, and you send the guy who's going through puberty. I, I don't think it happened like that. I'm just exaggerating. But you know, you send the guy against puberty, and this is what Goliath says I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to feed you to the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Right? And these are the same phrases that Goliath used. And we don't know exactly if that's the case, but we do know as you read that, that David, as he writes this psalm, you know, the other psalm we, you know, did, the lament, you can see that he's a little more aged, and there's pain in his life. But when he writes the psalm, it's in those early years, you know, where it's, he's idealistic, and somehow in that purity, he captures the majesty of his God. And he says, God, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And that is the point of this psalm. And David wants to make sure we know the point of the psalm by putting it in the beginning and in the end. And clipping it in the middle. He says, this is what the psalm is about. As I think about how awesome God is and possibly how God took someone like me to defeat Goliath, a nine-foot giant, and I, and I did look like a dog in front of him. He says, what that makes me do is, it makes me say, Oh Lord, how Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then in verse 9, he repeats it. And he says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, God, you are majestic. You are great. And this is what the psalm is about. It's about just worshiping you, reflecting on you. And who you are and what you have done. And I, I, I want to ask you, if it is all possible, maybe tonight we can just, somewhere at the end, just drop ourselves. You know? Drop whatever good, bad gifts God has given us. And just go, God, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Lord, you are great. You are awesome. You are powerful. And if I can do that to you, for you, if the Holy Spirit uses me, whew, that will be good. Amen? So are you with me here? Okay, thank you. <laughs> He's already excited about the Bollywood, eh? <laughs> now, when David says in verse 1 and verse 9, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, we might just glance over it, but if you look carefully at verse 1 and verse 9, there's a way that the NIV or your study Bible or whatever Bible you have spells the Lord different, right? First it says, O oh Lord, and the first Lord is spelled Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And the second Lord is spelled capital L, 
and the lowercase spell Lord. See, there's two phrase, two different words that were used as David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, the first capital letters is the word that most scholars now pronounce Yahweh. Okay? Yahweh. And this word, this, this name of God was the name of God that God had given to uh, Moses in Exodus, I think, chapter 3, where there was a burning bush and Moses didn't know where he was supposed to be. And as the burning bush burned, and, you know, Moses said, who are you? And God said that cool thing in that Ten Commandments. Sorry, I yelled so much, I'm thirsty already. Amen. Where am I? And, and Moses says, I am so tired. <laughs> if I faint, Pastor Dave, take over. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I was just thinking about the score I did, so I come back. You know, uh, Moses says to God, he goes, you know, God, who should I said sent me? And God says what? I am who I am. Now that's cool. You know, what's your name? I am who I am. Nobody else said that before. You know, God says, I am who I am. And that's Yahweh. But you have to understand, that name has a lot of meaning. God was saying, you know what? I am self-existent. I am not dependent on anything. I exist before, I exist, I existed before time. I will exist to the end of time. I am self-dependent. I am alone and nothing could touch me. I don't need anything. Yet I am who I am, created things to spread His glory and His love to people, right? And it was a covenantal name. When the Jewish people said Yahweh, right, it, it meant a lot more. It meant that he was the God of Moses who helped them deliver the people out of Egypt. But it also, this Yahweh was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of Moses, the deliverer. In fact, this name was not only, it just had a lot of meaning. Not only was it a covenant, remembering what God has done and how he has fulfilled the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the deliverance of Moses and uh, Israelites out of Egypt. It was such a holy name that when they you know, wrote Yahweh in the original language, because they thought it was so holy, they would, the Israelites would not pronounce it. You know, it, it was like, so if you, I'm not, I'm not this great of a scholar. I'm just trying to act like I am here, right? But if you look at the original language of the Jewish uh, Hebrew writing, there is these vowel points. And they were so in reverence of this name that they did not put the vowel points that you don't, you re we really don't know how it was pronounced, okay? Because they thought it was so holy that you should not pronounce it. And then slowly through time, they don't know how it sounds, so they said, we'll pronounce it Yahweh. So it's actually, that's not what it was. I don't know why they did that. <laughs> they did that, right? Because it was so holy. Now, when I say this, you know, some of you are like, oh, okay, that's great. Uh, so what? Well, let me just kind of build on this a little bit. There was a lot of ways that this name was used, Yahweh. In fact, probably the most familiar is the great Greek translation of Yahweh, which is Jehovah. And a lot of us have heard the word Jehovah. So Yahweh translated into Greek is Jehovah. And many times it was, you know, I don't know if you have heard the phrase Yahweh Jireh or Jehovah Jireh. You know, it's used uh, in Genesis 22 like that, and it means the Lord is my provider. 
Yahweh Nisi, which is the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi, and it's talking, it's stressing this ideal that God is the rallying point of victory. You know, God is the banner of victory. Or Yahweh Shalom, or Jehovah Shalom. It means that God is the ultimate peace. And there's all the ways that this name is attached to. And, and David, as he worships God, he says, O Lord Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Stuff is happening in his heart. Now, the other thing I need to set up is, most likely David was a young boy, and he was out in the fields, taking care of his sheep, and you know, actually, I had a privilege of being in Israel. And at night, you can see all the stars. And even the desert that's cold looks beautiful. And, and he was a poet. You know, he was a harpist, too. And he was a warrior. He was strong and sensitive. Like many of you men here. Amen. And he's out there in nature looking at the stars, looking at his sheep, looking into the desert. He is strong. And he's, he looks up and he's, he remembers and reflects on the victory of Goliath. And he says, Yahweh! And I'm going to tell you right now, when he says that, he's got stuff flowing through his heart. Because it means a lot to say, Yahweh, covenantal God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, God, Yahweh, oh Lord, how majestic, and you can just see the stars, how majestic is your name over all the earth, Lord. You are majestic, you are great. And he starts poetically describing it, then he ends by saying, oh Lord, our Lord, Yahweh, my Lord, how majestic is your name. Now, see, I can't do, you know, for us, you know, I'm trying to help us, but I don't know if you can get into it, but it's kind of like, I don't know if there's something that when it's said, it just means a lot to you. Maybe it's, you know, for you single guys, it's, it's a girl's name, you know? You know, oh, I don't want, if I say a name, and it's here, we're in trouble, right? Oh, X, all right? You know, so it's like, whenever you hear that name X, you're like, you know, other people might go ax, but you're like, <laughs> the hair that flows in the wind and the perfume she uses and how she gives you that dirty look, but you feel like still so cute, you know, and just like <laughs> you get flood of like, oh my, or, you know, if you're into cars, I'm not into cars, you know, and it's like BMW 5Z9525. I know there's no such a thing. Okay. And you're like, when somebody mentions that none of the other people know it, but you're like, <laughs> Man, that's the car I want. Mm. Or maybe you're into one of those gadgets like Palm 5975 or something. You're like, that's what I And you drool. I mean, you know, it's like that. I mean, so for us, we're not thinking this way. But when David says, Yahweh, it's like all of your best worship you've ever had coming on him. He says, Yahweh, you are majestic. That's who you are. You are an awesome God. And I worship you. You are, your name is above all the earth. And it's very important in the Jewish culture, as well as the name of Jesus, that this name was a name of self-existence and power. And uh, I just want to encourage you. Maybe that's how we should live our life. Maybe that's how we should be thinking. I, I think that sometimes one of the things that we should do is just spend some time worshiping God's name and getting some meaning out of it. Lord, you are the faithful one. Really Meditate on it. Lord, you are great. You are awesome. I just want to give you just, before we move on to the rest of the text, give you just a practical point. Maybe one of the things you should do to just kind of get into this is maybe in the morning you get out of bed and instead of just, you know, like, oh, God, I got to go to work. Maybe one of the habits we should do is just get on our knees right off the bed. 
And you know, I know I try to encourage you guys to get on your knees this morning. And when he pastored, Dave did it because he's like, I don't want to make young feel bad, man. <laughs> so he's like on his knees praying, right? But maybe I'm just, I'm, I'm into the knee thing because I think it's in the Bible. In the Bible, when they pray, they get on their knees. There's something about when we get on our knees, we remember we are man and he is God. So maybe, maybe in the morning, you get off of bed and you just get on your knees. And you stretch out your hand. And you say, God, you're great. You are great. I don't know what I'm going to face today. I don't know how hard the day is going to be. But God, you are Yahweh. I know some of you are not expressed. I know some of you are not into raising your hand. But can you imagine... You don't have to do it like, like a weirdo, right? But you go to your office or something, and maybe you get there a little early. No one's there. Can you imagine if you get on your knees like that? And you right, I don't know where you work. Maybe it's a cubicle, right? And you, no one's there. You don't have to, like, do it in front of everybody. But when no one's there, you just get on your knees, cubicle, and say, God, you are awesome. <laughs> Not jokingly. But take even four seconds to call upon the name of Yahweh wherever you are. In your car, right before you go to work. Stretch out. I mean, the reason I ask you to stretch out your hand, because it's just, for me, that's how I am. If you're not like that, don't stretch your hand. But, you know, just in your car before you go to work. God, I just, I want to worship you. You are great. I, I just want to tell you, if you practice that even a little bit, something snaps. You remember that God is great everywhere. Even in the places that sometimes we don't bring God into, that God is great. And that, just a suggestion. And I'll tell you, do it a couple times. You're like, wow, God is great over your workplace, over your studies, over your, your house. Yahweh, oh Lord, how majestic is your name. Well, then David starts to develop this idea of God's majesty by talking about a few things in this particular psalm. He says, he starts talking about babies. And we're going to talk about that, right? Then he starts talking about creation, and we want to talk about that. Then he starts to talk about uh, man and how man was supposed to rule over creation. We want to talk about that. And then we're going to end off talking about how this psalm talks about the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to start with something that's very uh, easy, and that is creation. Because, you know, why is David talking about babies when he's talking about the greatness of God? It's kind of weird. So, you know, I'll, I'll save that for later. But I want to talk about creation. Because David goes on to talk about He says, oh, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name over all the earth. Then he goes into this whole idea of creation. Then he says, when I consider the heaven, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of and the son of man that you care for him? You made him little lower than the heavenly things and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over wor- the works of your hands you put everything under his feet all flocks and herds and all beasts of the field and birds of the air the fish of the sea and uh and that swim the paths of the seas and so david is like again i mean i wish i was a poet i wish i had the language skills but i don't but you know imagine he's in the stars his sheep are man stuff here and he sees a desert and he's lord i'm majestic and he's thinking about creation and you know i know you can say like oh i mean did God really create everything as evolution? I don't want to get into that debate. Please, talk to Pastor Dave, all right? But I, I was a bio major. Pastor Dave actually was getting PhD in, in, what was it? How many PhDs were you trying to get, brother? <laughs> Just one. Right, microbiology. And we're not, we're not ignorant. At least I know he's not, you know. And, you know, I know there's a lot of, you know, 
you know, debate about creation and, you know, and intelligent design. I don't want to get into that, but I do believe that God created everything. Now, is there micro, macro evolution? I don't want to get into that right now, okay? But as David reflects, he says, God, you created all this. You are creator. You put it all up there. And, you know, he's imagining, looking at this stuff, and he's worshiping God. And I want to tell you, that is one of the ways that I think some of us forget to worship God, you know, in our modern culture. Worship God in nature, okay? And remember his majesty in nature. And saying, God, you made the wind that brings coolness after incredible soccer score. All right? God, you made this. And I don't know if you, I'm not telling you to worship nature. Many cultures has worshiped nature. They worship trees and worship stars and worship a huge rock and they worship. No, but I do know biblically, nature was created to point to God and for us to find through general revelation that we believe in this God and Bible is a specific, you know, revelation, but general revelation that God is great and worship God in nature. And I don't know if you're like that, okay? But I just want to give, you know, another kind of practical hint. Practice that. You know, personally, I'm a little bit more like that. I, I like nature. I, I like bugs and I like rainbows and, you know, I like, like, strong winds and, you know, when it rains, like, thunder and lightning. So I'm like, wow, this is cool. You know, I, I just, I, it's just so cool. You know, I remember when I was in Hawaii uh, in my honeymoon. And we were going the backside of Maui, and double rainbow showed up. And, you know, we're driving, and it was so romantic. You know, here I am. I'm not a very romantic guy. And my wife, and we're driving, and, oh, double rainbow. And my wife's like, oh, this is so romantic. I stopped the car. I went out, and I lifted him. <laughs> I broke the romance, you know. Oh, man, this is awesome. Lord, this is so awesome. And I, and I was like, God, I was looking at the rainbow, worshiping God. You know, I remember when I was at U of I. One summer, I was actually going through a lot of hard time, you know, just a lot of pressure as a, you know, uh, spiritual leader and stuff. And I went actually to visit Pastor Dave because he, he really comforted me. He was, you know, he's not as much now. He's pretty serious now. But when we were in college, man, he was like, he was so funny. Like, I just, I mean, I mean in a very witty way. I just, uh, I mean, I, I literally went down to relieve stress because he was just so funny. And he just made me laugh every day, you know, and I, I thank him for that. And one thing that he did for me was he actually let me borrow his, like, scooter or somebody did. And, and I remember at U of I, what I used to do at that summer is I drive the scooter. And if you've been at U of I, it's just basically U of I and cornfield. And so I would drive it into the cornfield, and I'd turn off the lights in the, at night. And you know what happens? When you go in the cornfield, there's no lights. You turn off the light, and it's clear uh, night. Thousands of stars, millions. And I remember just... Wow, Lord. Oh, you are so big. Oh, I'm just, and then when you, I don't know, probably, I don't know if you're like me, right? When I see a falling star, I'm like, wow, that is so cool. God, that is so cool, Lord. You know, this is like, you know, and I kind of get into this kind of thing, you know? And I remember I, I was doing that, and 10 minutes, I was worshiping God among the stars in the cornfield, and then I heard this noise, I go, oh, man, I turned and run. It is scary, man. You know, in the night with cornfield, I'm like, what was that? And I came back home, you know, but I think we should do that sometimes. I think we should go take a walk by yourself, you know, and just worship God. 
for the grass and the trees. And sometimes I actually do that in my backyard because we have actually a good-sized backyard. I just walk around and I just worship God. God, this is awesome, Lord. And I just praise Him, especially in the fall when the leaves come down. And I think that's spiritual. I think it's biblical. I'm not telling you to worship nature. I'm telling you to worship the Creator that has made the nature. And some of us who are more like that, that's one form of praying and worshiping that can help you remember God is great. Have you ever seen a night where you see millions of stars? You cannot but say, that is awesome. And then you, for us to say, that is awesome. That was made by Jesus. You know, I'll tell you, that helps you to worship God in creation. If you are vacation people... You know, instead of just going scuba diving or, you know, snorkeling. You know, I love worshiping God snorkeling, too. I tell you that. I'm like, <gasps> you know. <laughs> instead of going, oh, my gosh, that was a great adventure. Worship God. You know, many times I, in Northwestern, and if you guys know where that is in Evanston area, I go to the Northwestern campus, stand up on those rocks, and I, I remember worshiping God so many times. You know, I remember once, one time when I was a senior in high school, I was worshiping God and a light rain was falling. And one of those moments, it was like, it was around the, like summertime, so it's light, it's like, I'm cooling down. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And then the waves were kind of hitting, and I was like, God, because I went there with a lot of trouble. But I, I, I just sat there worshiping God, getting rained on, I, showers of blessing. I, I'm kind of like this, all right? You don't, you don't think I am, but I am, right? I was worshiping God, and I'm like, wow, Lord, can you help me? And the waves hit, and I felt like I was saying, amen. You know, I, I was getting all into it until, until I found out that, do you know that that's like a make-out spot right there? It was like, why are they kissing over there? Why? I got really angry. I'm like, this is holy ground, and you guys are just fooling around. I was like encountering God, and I want to tell you, maybe that's something you can do. Read the Bible, Bible verses of worship, go out and worship Him, right? As you look at the stars and the moon and worship Him. Well, I think that's one way of linking into His majesty. Then David goes on, even in this creation, he starts saying something. He says, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly uh, beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hand. You put everything under his feet. And David starts reflecting on this awesome creation as he's out there looking at the stars in the deserts of Israel. And then he says, God, in the Bible, he knows Genesis. How, why did you take this great creation that we don't even understand? And back then they understood less than we do. And he says, God, why did you tell Adam that he was supposed to have dominion over all this creation? What is man? What, what are we? And I'm pretty sure he's reflecting on how small he felt when he faced Goliath. And he's going, God, what is man that you gave and bestowed on us this incredible grace of responsibility? And I really think David is saying, man don't deserve it. We didn't do anything with it. But for whatever reason, you graciously allowed us to be the one who takes care of nature. Now, I don't want to go into too many side points, but as I read the Bible more and more, I think human beings, and especially Christians, we are supposed to take care of nature. Okay? And, you know, I'm not one of those green people, right? But I think, and, and you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to offend any green people here. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about, green people, right? But I mean, I, I, I think I need to recycle. You know, I think that, yeah, we need to save the Amazon trees, right? I mean, I'm not one of those guys that I will sacrifice my son for, you know, the blue whales or anything like that, right? But I think we need to be conscious of, you know, nature because, believe it or not, we 
we're given responsibility to take care of this world, right? Now, of course, there's, it's a lot more complicated than that. And, you know, I mean, there's responsibility over taking care of our fellow human being and nature, but we need to think through it. And David says, that's not his point. David says, God, I look around and this stuff is so awesome. And for whatever reason, you let man like me have responsibility over nature. God, your majesty is shown in nature and your majesty is shown in giving grace to man, authority that he does not deserve. You bestowed on him honor and glory. I don't know about you, and maybe this is the, only, the way I think. I've actually seen, you know, dolphins swimming. Or I, actually, I was in Africa one time and I saw a herd of elephants. And I mean, when you see these herds of elephants, and that's pretty cool. And one time I was out in Kenya, and we saw, you know, uh, this is a long time when I was in college. We went to this place called Maasai Mara, and we, I saw, and I might be exaggerating, but like thousands of zebras. You know, like that, you know, Lion King, and they have like all those animals coming. I, I saw like thousands of zebras and water beasts and whatever beasts. And, and I remember looking at it, it's weird. When you look at a herd like that, you look at like awesome lion herd, Right? In nature, and you're like, wow, that is awesome. You look at a man, you're like, he has a crooked nose. You know, it's like something about you're like, wow, this is... And David says, you know, if I think about it, this should be controlling this. For whatever reason, you graced us to be the one who rules over nature and be responsible over nature. And I feel like, I think what David is saying is that majesty is shown in creation and majesty is shown by God's Grace to man to give us his glory and his honor when we did not deserve. Why didn't he give it to a lion? Why didn't he give it to a bear? Why didn't he give it to a whale? You know, whales have bigger brains than us. But he created us in his image. And for whatever grace, he gives it to us. God's, so something like when we think about the grace of God, it's supposed to go, you are majestic. You give me what I don't deserve. Well, let's kind of look at this idea of babies. In verse 2, David goes on to say this, From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your, uh, uh, because of your enemies, uh, ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And what David is saying, he says something to the nature that, God, you're going to use babies and their praise to defeat your enemies Around you. Now that's weird. And why does he pull out as he's worshiping God about babies and how babies would defeat the enemies of God? I mean, what's going on here? You know, the first thing that I want to tell you, as Piper said, is that God doesn't fear enemies. God has no problems with enemies. If somebody says, I am enemies with you, you know, God, I am an enemy to you. You think God's up there going like, oh my gosh, young is my enemy. You know, what am I going to do? Like, oh boy, you know, what am I going to do? No, nah, he's like, if any a nation could say, God, we are your enemy. We're against Jehovah God. You think God's up there going, I don't know what to do? I mean, God can destroy his enemies by saying, destroy. God can take somebody and say, be squashed. Be not squashed. Be squashed. Be not squashed. Be squashed. That's pretty tough. He can do whatever he wants. But here he says, God does not destroy his enemies with his power. It says, he destroys his enemies by the praise 
of babies, right? And so you got to follow. Are you guys with me here? Okay, some of you are like, what the heck is this guy talking about? When's he going to finish? <laughs> Keep coming, all right? So I, I think what David is saying, and I think there's a reflection of him thinking like he was like a baby. If it was written with Goliath in mind, he felt like he was a baby. And when he describes a baby, it's a poetic language, something that is so weak, like a baby. And some of you have babies. And if you had babies in your life, you know that the first six months of a baby, they can't do anything. They can't even keep their head up. It's like, baby, keep your head up. <laughs> right? You know, they go all over the place. They, you know, they can't even roll over, you know? They just sit there like all day. They're an eating machine. Thank God they're cute or else we would not like them, you know? And thank God we gave birth to them or, or the ladies did, all right? Well, we would not like them. I mean, they're helpless. But what David, I mean, what David writes is something that is so helpless, like me, reflected on a baby. God, you take the weak to defeat the strongest enemy. And your majesty is shown by weakness defeating the most powerful enemy. Because God uses, as Paul says later, the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And I'll tell you, when you understand this, you realize something. That God wants to show His majesty through us. Some of us feel inadequate. Some of us feel weak. And God says, you know what? I'm going to take weak things to do great things. And when God takes weak things, I mean, God can use His power. God could send down lightning to, but when He uses, when He shows that He can take weak things to defeat the most powerful things, His majesty is shown. And His glory is shown. But to me, uh, one of the best things of Psalm if you follow with me to Matthew chapter 21, is what it says about Jesus. If you go to Matthew chapter 21, are you with me? Just look to one another and say, he's almost done. <laughs> All right. Matthew chapter 21 is a triumphal entry, the last days of Christ. And as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and he knows he's going to die, what we find is Jesus uh, tells his disciples to go find a uh, young you know, donkey, a colt. And he rides on a donkey, and he walks into, I mean, he's riding into Jerusalem, and it is a paradoxical picture. Because it was a picture of a, of a uh, triumph, you know, when, when a warrior or a king you know, won a battle, he would ride in a stallion, and he would ride in triumphantly into the, you know, the, uh, the kingdom as a you know, victor. But here, Christ was walk, you know, riding in on a donkey to fulfill, I believe, uh, uh, Zechariah 9.9. And it was a picture of victory in humility. Okay, Follow with me. Okay? And as he's walking in this Palm Sunday, all these little kids and babies... And you guys know this, right? Around Easter. Are throwing down palm leaves and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The son of David is here. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And the son of David is here. They are worshiping Jesus like a victor. But these words are not just for a king. These words are for God. Okay? So you got to follow with me. Jesus walked. He's going in. And he is triumphal entry. Kids are throwing down palms and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And the Pharisees are ticked off. 
They come over to Jesus and says, look what it, in verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Verse 15. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wondrous things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were ticked off. And this is what they asked him. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. What are they asking him? They're saying this. Hey, Jesus. Do you hear what they're saying? They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're calling you Messiah. They're calling you, in their question, they're saying, they're calling you God. You know, do you hear what they're saying? They're calling you God. Do you hear what they're saying? Okay? Because as you know, Pharisees did not believe that Jesus was Messiah and definitely did not believe that Jesus was God. This is the answer that Jesus gives. They said, do you hear what these children are saying? Then he says, yes. He replied. Replied Jesus. Yes. So follow with me, okay? They say, do you hear what those kids are saying? They're worshiping you. Those silly kids are worshiping. Those little babies are worshiping you. They're worshiping you like a god. Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, yeah. I hear what they're saying. And then he quotes Psalm chapter Eight, he says, yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 or 2, from the lips of the children and infants, you have ordained praise. From the lips of the children and infants, you have ordained praise. Their words are defeating all the wrong words of the Pharisees. From their lips is coming out truth. And what else is Jesus saying? I don't know if this will get you like it got me. Jesus is saying, you know, the majesty, Yahweh, of Psalm 8. Oh, Yahweh, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name over all the earth. That is me. I am the God of Psalm 8. I am the God who is majestic, and my name will reign over all the earth. Psalm 8 is what they call a messianic psalm that was pointing to Christ. And Psalm 8 was declaring the majesty of Yahweh, and it was also saying, Jesus is God, and His name is majestic. Now, some of us are like, my, Pastor Young, yeah, what is that? I think that's one of our problems as Christians. Sometimes we think of Christ as our friend. He is. We think of Christ as the one near us. He is. He lives in us. But do you you and I spend time thinking of Jesus as the God of Psalm 8? Oh, Jesus, Yahweh, how majestic is your name over all the earth. God, I, Jesus, you are the God over all the earth. As David worshipped you in nature, and as David quoted about this, that uh, the children, that's who you are, Jesus you are the God over all the earth. And I, I want to say, sometimes, I don't know if this is with you, I think sometimes when we think about Christ, and His incarnation brought us near to Him. He was God, and He wanted to be near us, help us to understand Him, you know. His incarnation brought, us, uh, brought Him near to us, but I think sometimes when we think about Jesus, we kind of think like this. He's like a little bit, maybe a little more smarter than us, knows a little more than us, understands problem a little more than us. But Scripture says, Jesus is God. He is Yahweh over all the earth. 
And we need to get a picture of Christ, of who He is. He is Hosanna in the highest. He is God of the universe. Amen? And I want to tell you, Revelations chapter 1. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is speaking to John and he says this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. This is Jesus speaking. Who is, who was, and who is to come. The Almighty. Verse 17. When I saw him, talking about Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. And I want to tell you, I think some of the things we need to reflect on is we need to remember Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the Mighty One. He is Lord over all the earth. And we need to spend time saying, God, Jesus, you are majestic over all the earth. And I know it sounds like very vague, but sometimes that is the greatest thing that we can do to draw close to Him and experience power in our life. When I was, uh, I've, I've been in a lot of jams in my life. When I was a senior in high school, finishing Niles West, local, you know, uh, school in the Chicago area, summertime, I was having a lot of problems in my life. And, you know, remember your high school days where you're all emotional and, you know, trying to figure out what to do and, one of the problems was my mom and dad were fighting like crazy. That summer, I thought they were going to get a divorce. I mean, it was a rough summer. My father owned the store. Never, he, my dad is not a businessman. I don't know why he owns a store. You know, he should just have been a math teacher. But, you know, he owned the business, and it wasn't doing well. And when it doesn't do well, you know, Korean parents fight. And I used to go to the store with my dad, and he would complain about my mom, all the things she does wrong. And, you know, it's like when your dad complains about your mom, he hits the right points. So I'm like... Yeah, 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 okay. And then my dad would, my mom would complain about my dad, my dad and I would be so frustrated in, in my, uh, you know, heart. I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, what, why, are they, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this, right? And I, I'm like, you know, I was very immature. I used to think, man, they should just get a divorce. And I thought they were going to get a divorce. It was very serious that summer. The other thing that I, I had a pretty difficult time was I was graduating. I was a senior, but I didn't get into any college yet. Remember those days? You're like, no, I don't remember. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't get in. And finally, I got into U of I. But, you know, before that, I didn't get in. In fact, I, you know, I, I didn't get anywhere. I'm like, what am I going to do? Am I, am I going to get into college? Who am I going to be? You know, and, oh, what, what, what's going to go on in my life? And, and I didn't know my future. So I was like really stressed out that summer. The other thing was, was that uh, I didn't have a girlfriend. You know, and do you remember when you were in high school and you don't have a girlfriend? You're like, man, you feel like a loser, you know? And I'm like, oh, man, I don't have anybody. It's the summer of your senior year. No one in sight. No one around. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be lonely forever. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to have no one forever. Who's going to, you know, who is that person? Where is that person? And that was there. And the other thing was, I had been a Christian uh, since sophomore year of my high school year. And I was faithful to my youth group. I used to drive these friends around and all this stuff. But when I was thinking of going to U of I, uh, before I became a Christian, I used to be a little bit of a uh, drunkard. <laughs> I used to drink a lot, you know. Can't take alcohol, but I used to drink a lot here and there and, you know, with my uh, sports friends and stuff. And I don't know what it was. It was a thirst. Excuse me. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, I had this feeling that when I went to college, 
Because I served God like crazy my high school year, my two years after I had a relationship with God and not just a religion. I felt like when I go to college, I was going to go into a bar and not come out. And I was just going to go in there and just do what I want to do and not come out. And it was like a really weird feeling. And so that summer, I used to run from my house to Niles West. I don't know if you guys know where this is. And Niles West is actually right near this, like, you know, a highway, I think I-94. And I would sit next to the uh, sidewalk and I'd pray. And I'd, I'd pray out loud because I, I had to run because I was so frustrated. Like, my, I didn't know answers to my life. I mean, there was, like, is my mom and dad going to be okay? You know, what am I going to do in my future? You know, what, 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 am I going to find that person? Am I going to be a spiritual rebel? What, what? And so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even sit still. So I would run. Maybe I'm just spaz, all right? So I would run a mile. Right? Get to the spot, and I was so frustrated that summer. I went there almost every day after work with my mom and dad. I run there, and I go, God, I can't take this. Lord, what am I going to do in college? God, am I going to make it? And the worst thing is, I got into U of I, and they made me take this placement test. And this placement test, they said, they go, you know, I got a zero in Spanish. And they said, don't take Spanish, you know. Uh, they, I got a zero in English. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, but I did well in math and science. And they said, after they tallied it up, I don't know if they still do this for U of I, they said, our prediction is that you will get straight C's as you go to U of I. <laughs> now, for Korean American at that time, straight C's meant death. Okay, you die. Don't go to college, just die, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I prayed, literally, that made me pray all summer. And sometimes it would be 30 minutes, sometimes it would be hours. I remember one time it was raining. And I was so frustrated with my life, I'd stay there and pray. Summer was ending. None of those things were being answered. My mom and dad were still fighting. I still didn't know nothing. A couple days before the retreat, a couple days before going to uh, U of I, there was a retreat coming up. But I didn't want to go to this retreat because it was a Korean retreat. You know, and they were going to speak Korean. And me no speak Korean. You know, it sounds like Chinese, all right? And so I'm like, I don't want to go, but they were going to go to this retreat center that I became a Christian at. So I just went, and I remember sitting there, and they're speaking Korean. I'm like, oh, I don't know what they're saying. All I can remember is like, Hananim, yeah, that's God. You know, Yesunim, that's Jesus, you know. And I don't know what they're saying, you know, and all this stuff. And, and, and what happened was the last night, I mean, it was, they're still really nice people, so I spent time with them. The last night, they were, you know, of course, if it's a Korean retreat, they don't just do you know, like marshmallow. They were like cooking like kimchi chicken and, you know, other Korean food. And I'm like, I kind of went to the side and it was at Lake Michigan. Uh, it's called Michigan Dooms. I don't even know where. Camp Sagata, I think it was. And there was this place that I used to pray there. I went there after I became Christian. We went there every year. And it was this lifeguard post. And I sat at this lifeguard post and I said, God, I got a lot of problems, Lord. I'm going to go to college in two, three days. And I don't know what major I got. I am lonely my mom and dad, I think, are going to get a divorce. God, help me. And I'll tell you, those I used to pray long and hard and yell and scream and hit myself. I don't know why I did that. Lord, answer me. Like, why do you hit yourself? You don't know. But, you know, back then, you got to hit yourself. Oh, God. Lord, and all this stuff. And walk around and did all this stuff. And nothing was happening, you know. But I'm sitting there. And I, I told you, I'm a nature guy. And I, I just looked at Lake Michigan. And I go, wow. You know, if you ever look at Lake Michigan, it's an ocean. It's not a lake. You can't see the end. I go, what? And then it was full moon. It was like moonlit. And I go, wow, that is a huge lake. <laughs> Ooh, that's a huge lake. That's kind of how I meditate. And I looked at the, you know, the, the sea, I mean, the, uh, you know, the shores. And I, and I saw those guys cooking kimchi jjigae over here. And 
over here at this. And I go, wow, that's an awesome beach. And I look back, and there was dunes. I go, wow, that's a cool forest. And then it happened. I looked up, and there was just trees and stars. I worship him. I just said, God, this is great. I wouldn't know how to write a script. No, like so that when it freezes, the density is less so it floats, you know? And then, you know, you know, I, I'm like, how did you figure out doing H2O? And I believe God formed H2O, okay? You might not. And I go, God, that's a, how did you make sand? How did you? And I was like just kind of doing this stuff, and I was just worshiping God. And then it dawned on me. I felt like I was saying, young. Know your mom and dad? I just felt like that problem went as far as Lake Michigan. You know your loneliness and the person you're going to meet? I'll take care of it. You know the rebellion? I'll take care of it. You know what you're going to be? I'll take care of it. I did not get one answer. I left there with this feeling God's a good God. He'll take care of it. Will change your mind. Guess what? I did not spiritually rebel. I, I winded up joining a cultic band called Alpha Omega. You know, and served all around the United States, right? I wound up being a pastor. Never entered a bar, maybe once or twice. <laughs> when, the, when the college ministry didn't know, but I repented afterwards, you know. When I came out, right, I found my wife, you know, one that God had. My mom and dad is not divorced. They live five minutes away from me. They basically devoted their life to take care of my kids so I can do ministry. And my wife can work because our church can't afford me to do ministry, you know, because we have a strong campus ministry. And I found my major. I graduated bioengineering. I was thinking of going to med school. But I winded up going to seminary, and I asked, oh, Lord, hi, Lord, I'm a guest of your ministry for all the years. I didn't get the answer, but I got a perspective. That is, this God that entered my life, this Jesus, he's magic. He is great. He's awesome. You know, I, I don't know how to you, but... I feel like if we could reflect on that a little more, then maybe all the thumb problems won't be as big as we think because we put it so close to what we are. Because Jesus is God. Oh, Jesus, our Jesus, how majestic is your name for all the earth. You are, I am, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. And you live in me. That's why Paul said, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Again, you don't have to, but since you've been sitting for a while, uh, I'm going to ask you to stand as the band goes up. And... uh, I really don't know how to do this, but I want us to just spend a few minutes just not repenting, though I think worshiping God can bring us into repentance. 
I want us to spend some time just calling out the names of God that you know. Not thinking about the problems you have or the good things you have or the gifts you have. Just, God, you are the faithful one. You are majesty. You are the almighty. You are the I am. You are the alpha and the omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are Prince of Peace. You are my joy. You are the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. God, and you live in me. Oh, Lord. Oh, Yahweh. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Lord. My Lord. How majestic is your name over all the earth, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. How majestic is your name over all the earth, Lord. Lord, you are greater than the thumbs that we put in our eyes. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning, the ageless one. You are Jesus. One who came to save. You are the Holy One. Oh Lord. Jesus. How majestic is your name. Over all the earth. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. That Jesus is the Lord of Lords the King of Kings. You are able to do immeasurably more than what we can imagine or think, Lord. Oh, Lord. Our Lord, my Jesus, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I love you, O oh Lord. You are my strength. You might not yell. You might not be an emotional type of person. But whatever you can, can we just ask God for the gift of God absorbance, Jesus absorbance? Just think about this. Could it be that the God of the universe is in this room. And He wants us to experience Him. Could it be that when we sing this song, that we are really at the throne room of God that Isaiah saw, where it said, Holy, holy, holy is the God Almighty. Could it be that these songs actually worship the Almighty One. Just a few minutes. Let's just call on the name of God. And if you don't know that many names, it's alright. You can just repeat, Oh Lord, Jesus, how majestic is your name over my life and over all the earth. Let's just prayerfully 
be absorbed in Him just for a few moments. Can we try that? Let's try that for a few moments. Let's pray.